What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. Look, I am um, continuously appreciative of the guests and the brands and the partnerships that we're able to bring on our network. I'm so thankful for the conversations that we're able to have on a week to week basis. I want to thank all the members of our team. You know, if you didn't know, a little quick housekeeping, um, as well as just information, because every listener, every you know episode, there's some first time listener or listeners, right? According to our data anyway. What's up? Ow. Um, anyway, <laughs> we have a whole network of shows. Living Corporate is really like a flagship, but we have other shows. Um, we have the access point. We have the leadership range. We have uh, the break room. We have the group chat. We have a lot of different shows, a lot of things going on all the time. They they have their own schedules. Um, Living Corporate is the only one that's like 24-7. Um, but still, right, you can go back and you can look at our other shows because we still have those seasons up. Um, you can still see, if you go to our network page on Apple Podcasts, you can actually see um, all of those different shows that we've had in the past that are either pausing or on hiatus or are continuing. Um, and I just want to thank everybody who has been a part of our journey to date just because, right? Like this work is hard. Podcasting is not easy. Media in general is certainly not easy. Um, it's almost kind of like sometimes you're talking into a void, right? Um, and so I want to thank everybody that's been a part of our team to date because I'm just so proud of the content that we're we're pushing out there. I'm excited about what we're able to do with that content and what it looks like in terms of how we turn that into something that um, can really help people learn and grow in their own uh, journey as aspirational allies. Right. And so, again, I just continue to be thankful, uh, reflective um, and appreciative of where we are and the people that have gotten us here. So, again, shout out to the entire living corporate team, the entire network. Thank you all. You know, today uh, we continue in our, our, our ongoing um, campaign with Pfizer. We have a phenomenal conversation um, talking a lot around global policy, uh, political landscape, trends around health equity. I've just been so appreciative of the discussion we've been able to have with Pfizer in such candid and transparent ways. I'm very educational for me. And also, I really want people to understand as we look at like this next you know, season, right? Between, let's just say between now and 2030, health equity is going to continue to be a number one topic, right? We have more, we're in a a much more um, democratized uh, age when it comes to information these days and, um, you know, environmental racism, inequitable outcomes uh, by gender, by race, uh, at various intersections of identity, you know, these things are going to continue to be top of mind and very important. And so, I'm proud of the fact that we've been have, able to have such an extended campaign with Pfizer. Where we're talking really practically about why health equity is so important, right? Why leaders need to care about uh, the health and well-being of their employees, why accessibility is critical. You know, I, I just I'm really proud of these conversations and I'm excited about the one you're about to hear. So without further ado, uh, we're going to we're going to get into that, con- that this dialogue. I'm excited about y'all checking it out. Before we do that, though, we're going to pay some bills. I'll talk to you in a second. All right. See you soon. Angela, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, listen, let's start with this. I'm trying to get to it. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. You're the VP of Global Policy and Public Affairs at Pfizer. First of all, you got Vice President Global Policy and Public Affairs at 
Pfizer, this huge global international brand. What does that work entail day to day? So I lead a team uh, that looks globally at policy priorities that can support the oncology operating unit. So that is the commercial unit, it's research, it's development, it's the ways we engage patients all across the board. Um, we look at sound public policy and develop strategies to move that policy forward, often in partnership with external organizations. So another big part of our job is identifying and cultivating relationships with external stakeholders. Unpack that a little bit more. So there's a lot of risk built into doing what Pfizer needs to do. Um, and some of it has to do with um, things that are beyond our ability to impact. But there are also things that are within our ability to impact when it comes to the external environment. And often that comes down to um, changing laws and regulations um, or changing the conversation, so to speak, um, in the environment that impacts what we're doing on the oncology level. So that could be uh, patients' access to our products. It could be in the research and development and regulatory space, how products come to market and how quickly they can come to market. Um, it can have to do with inputs. Um, we've been doing a lot of work around patient-centered innovation and, and, and centering the patient voice in our innovation and our engagements with the FDA. Uh, it really, it, it, it goes full circle. I mean, there, there are 360 degrees of ways that the external environment policymakers and others can impact how we develop drugs, uh, how we get them to market, how we continue to innovate, and how at patients get access and what their experience is with our medicines. So it sounds as if, and again, you know, you know, living corporate, we it's real talk in the corporate world. We center and amplify uh, black and brown voices at work. Mm -hmm. It sounds as if like your role is about helping to create an environment and landscape so far as it can really do its thing from an oncological perspective? Yes, you said it really well. So that when we're bringing these miracle medicines to market and when we're researching them and we're doing clinical trials, that we're doing it in the most positive and supportive external environment possible. And that way, you know, that leaves our folks free to manage all of the other risks and question marks that, that come our way in natural day-to-day -day work. That sounds incredible because I and I do want to talk more about that in a minute because you also talked about legislation and like again like just what the what the uh, again like the environment shaping the environment around so that so for for Pfizer success um, around the globe you know but but before we go there looking back on where you started and where you are today in this global position at this at at one of the most recognized brands in the world if you could give your your fresh out of college self three points of advice, what would it be? One is pursue what you really love. Um, so I have kids, they're not quite fresh out of college, but they're old enough. I'm hoping to absorb lessons <laughs> that I, and insights that I offer them. And one that I always say to them is pursue what you love. You've heard the adage, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, it took me a while to navigate to a world that I love, which is the world of public affairs, uh, but I really enjoy it. So that would be number one. Um, number two is recognize how much time you have. Don't be in a rush. It's important to set goals, but you also have to understand that a career is many decades long with lots of twists and turns, and you should give yourself the time and space um, to enjoy and explore. Um, and the third is that 
you know, your math and science courses, even though they may seem like they don't matter in real life, <laughs> ultimately do. <laughs> mm -hmm. because there are things I retained uh, from science courses since I do work for a bioscience company um, that I never thought I would back when I was studying. You know, it's interesting, right? Like, like health equity continues to be a point of, of increased focus and conversation, both nationally and worldwide. And we're seeing, um, we're also really seeing like that intersect with, with race and gender and like very like direct, explicit ways. As you sit in the position leading global policy and public affairs advisor, what trends are you seeing between now and 2030? Um, and I know based on your role, you have to be looking forward. I'm curious, like, as you look, as you look uh, down the road, what, if anything, concerns you or maybe even encourages you? Yeah, I mean, one one necessary um, goal that we need to work toward is being really clear in our understanding and ways of speaking about what health equity is. And so, you know, my concern and, and our team works toward, you know, not having this play out, but that health equity becomes kind of a, a, a mushy <laughs> word um you know, like like in some respects, diversity has come. We have to be intentional about what it is and not just kind of throw it out there, um, you know, put lots of objectives on a board and then throw on health equity at the as the last bullet because you know that you need to. And it, it's it's hard to avoid that because health equity has to thread through all of our other objectives. So earlier when I was just talking about um, the points along the way that I and my team can influence public policy and the external environment, you know, it starts at the very beginning um, with the, you know, clinical trial diversity, right? That's a, that's a very important pillar of health equity for the bioscience industry, but it goes all the way through once our medicines come to market, um, you know, communicating uh, with patients and, um, you, you know, access issues that are impacted by health equity. So, it has to be threaded throughout every step of the way, which means it's everywhere, <laughs> which means you have to be careful that it doesn't end up being nowhere because it it is a, a set of discrete sub bullets um, as well as a bullet unto itself, if that makes sense to you. It does. It does. And, you know, I really want to I want to double click on this a little bit because I would like to understand what it looks like to drive influence on the legislative level as as uh, as an executive advisor who's responsible for global policy and public affairs like like what what does that really entail yeah so it 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 entails from the very beginning <laughs> to the to an ultimate policy outcome and you know i i talk about policy because that's the most tangible outcome that we can um, we can achieve, which is sound public policy, right? A, a, a piece of, of legislation at a federal level in, uh, you know, any of our markets, you know, at the state level in the United States, um, you know, um, um, principles that uh, come out of, uh, of uh, um, you know, above market body, but across the board, you know, a document that has the words that you need to have on the document to move is very tangible, um, but but we can also be talking about a positive media environment, positive media treatment um, of some of our issues, and then also our stakeholders singing as much as possible from the same song sheet as we are when it comes to some of these issues. So um, we're talking about running the full gamut. 
So let's talk about your journey to Pfizer. Like, I'd like to understand what led you to Pfizer and then like what's kept you here thus far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are two, two really separate questions. I came to Pfizer as a part of an acquisition in 2009. Uh, Pfizer acquired Wyeth, which is another drug company where I'd worked for a couple of years. And to be completely honest, you know, and, and there are probably folks who will be listening to this podcast who've gone through the same <laughs> when when your company is being acquired by another company, it becomes really a survival imperative. Um, I, I, I wanted to be wanted by the acquiring company. I wanted to make it over to the other side through the acquisition. And I was fortunate because in, in the discipline um, where I work at the time, it was government relations, which is, you know, essentially a, a, a piece of corporate affairs. Um, <clears throat> I had exposure to the Pfizer team because so many of so much of the work that we do is as an industry. <clears throat> so I had partnered with Pfizer lobbyists on uh, legislative issues on Capitol Hill and knew them and they knew me. And I think that that helped me um, make it over onto the Pfizer government relations team. So to be quite honest, initially just getting here <laughs> was my goal. Um, just being able to accomplish that one thing is, was my reason for coming to Pfizer. My reason for staying was completely different. We are very fortunate. And, and this reality has only... Um, become more real over the years that I've been at Pfizer, but Pfizer attracts the best people um, on the planet. So globally, I had a very US focused job for most of my career here. And for the past six months, I've had a job that's more globally focused. And so I see that it's not just in the US, it's it's in all of our, our key markets, but we attract the most phenomenal people. So in the public affairs space, a lot of the folks who come to work at Pfizer were policymakers themselves um, before they came inside. And so they've got tremendous insights. Uh, they're very mission focused and mission driven. That's why folks come here to work, which is fantastic. They're extremely collegial. So it's this is a place with a lot of fun people to work with who have a lot to teach each other every day. And that's why I stay. So, you know, we talk about health equity and we talk about like, we're also talking about you're sitting here as a, as a black woman, um, as a black executive um, in this space without, and I don't see a lot of, a lot of us in these roles and positions. I'm curious, like, what do you think organizations can do to better retain uh, black talent, particularly black women? Mm hmm. Well, I can I can tell you one thing that Pfizer does that really resonates with me. And uh, one thing that keeps me here is that, uh, you know, Pfizer gives me a platform to reach back into my own community um, as an ambassador of the organization and a subject matter expert and a thought leadership partner. And I'll give you one example. Um, yesterday, I was on a panel with the American Cancer Society uh, before the Black Women's Health Imperative, which is a national organization with chapters across the country. And it was just really cool to be on stage with another sister, with an audience of nothing but sisters talking about something that's really important personally for all of us, which is advancing uh, policy that um, strengthens Black women's health but also something that's important to both Pfizer and the American Cancer Society um, and the organizations that a lot of the women who were gathered represents. And that was just one of many such platforms that I've been fortunate to have. And some of these, you know, many of us go out together. And so it also becomes a networking opportunity um, for Pfizer colleagues. I think about the work that we do every year in, in the fall um, around the Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Conference. And so, you know, it's just a really nice way to network with other colleagues that have similar backgrounds, uh, also represent our company in a really real and impactful way. 
and it just really keeps me connected to the organization. You, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you're in this space. And again, we talked about like your role um, as as the VP of global policy and public affairs. You're responsible for sex, setting like external groundwork and um, and, and creating paths for Pfizer to, to do the work that they do. Um, at the same time, you know, a lot of times folks engage, we talk, when we're talking about matters of health equity or talk, or even just like just equity, workplace equity or just equity, diversity, equity, inclusion, which of course now is becoming more and more of, of uh, like uh, forbidden words as just look at the political landscape. But, but, but I guess I'm curious about like when it comes to just executive leaders, right? Like we need to bring all of this work into the practical day-to-day of why, like of, of an executive leader and their, and their priorities. I'm curious, why do you think executive leaders should care about health equity in the day-to-day lives of their employees? Well, you know, from somebody who does this work externally, we don't have much credibility unless we are, are walking the talk. And I'll give you a great example that I've been talking about for weeks now. One of the issues that we're working on in the health equity space is um, uh, closing the gap in screenings, cancer screenings um, between, you know, white Americans and non-white Americans. So when you look at disparities in care and disparities in in screening, they're quite wide. Um, And when I'm thinking prostate cancer, particularly for black men, we did an event at our um, Sanford, North Carolina facility, specifically to educate colleagues. And that facility is, it's, I think like 70% African-American. So great, you know, great place for us to be doing this kind of campaign, but um, for colleagues around the importance of prostate cancer screening. And it was a really great exchange um, led by um, our colleague wellness division. And I had the opportunity to listen in and we brought in an external um, expert to talk and also an internal person to talk to colleagues. And just hearing the questions that were coming out and the enthusiasm around it was really gratifying, but it is also a great thing to be able to talk about uh, when we are talking about changing policy um, to encourage screenings outside of our walls, right? So it, it's it's it feels good to be able to to walk the talk, but it also gives us the credibility that um, to help us get our work done. So, you know, I, one, I'm I'm really glad we're able to sit down and have this conversation. The one thing I do want to ask, as I'm hearing like you talk about the work that you do and is so often when it comes to matters of equity, like there's these assumption that like um, that things take time that like, okay, well, you know, you know, we, we just need to make, you know, incremental change over time. But I believe I'm under the impression. I want you to tell me if I'm wrong, that there are certain things, Angela, that you have to do as a part of your role where you're looking to drive change fairly quickly. I'm curious, like what is something that you think, from a from a um, from a, a policy and public affairs perspective, that you think people may assume takes a long time, but actually can be hap- can be handled fairly quickly if you're intentional um, and um, and strategic about it. Hmm. Okay, you got to give me a second. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That's a tough question. Um, you know, I'm trying to think because I watch often hmm. issues ripen um politically yeah 
get to a point, um, you know, of, of fulfillment, you know, external now to the U.S. as well as in the U.S. and on Capitol Hill. And, you know, I would never take for granted that something was going to take a long time. You know, it often does, but it doesn't necessarily always. And I'll say, you know, this is, a, and I'm just trying to think in the in the equity category, it's hard for me to think about, exa- I mean, well, you know, it's, it's becoming kind of patent trite to always rely on COVID examples, <laughs> but we saw health equity issues you know, ratchet up to the top of the priority list for policymakers during COVID. And it's because the country couldn't get back to normal until we stopped the spread of the virus. And the virus couldn't stop spreading unless we had some level of equity of access to vaccines and treatments um, across communities. Because, and that's, you know, the adage, I forget what it is, right? About, I guess, all the, all of boats being lifted or something like that. A rising that. tide lifts all boats. A rising tide, a rising tide lifts all boats and a sinking tide, uh, you know, would, would sink all boats. And the tide had to rise for all of us, for us to get back to work um, and, and get back to normal. And so policymakers, I think that COVID, or I saw that COVID both made health inequities more plain to policymakers because everybody was focusing on health at exactly the same time and you had no choice but to see where the inequities lie. And it was really important to get past that because there I've never seen the realization so clear that when you have subsets of the community who aren't whose needs aren't being addressed, then none of us can move forward. That that was patently clear during COVID. And so you had all of these barriers being broken down in terms of access and telemedicine, you know, in terms of um, meeting people where they are at the community level, you know, we were and our partners were going directly to where people were to get them vaccinated. We're still looking at creative ways to communicate with them about their care. So we saw it happen with COVID where all of a sudden it was imperative um, that we get our acts together. Uh, and, and, so I've, I've seen it happen and I know it can happen. And, you know, I think one helpful, one useful element is that for some of those issues, Pfizer had already been paying attention. I think about diversity in clinical trials. It was really fantastic to be able to tell policymakers that we, uh, we post on our website what the clinical trial demographics are for our COVID vaccine. It gave us a lot of credibility with stakeholders who, many of whom had questions about um, what the trial looked like, diversity in clinical trials and health equity in general. But it's not like we figured, you know, we've been working toward that moment for quite some time. So, you know, there's also the adage that if you, if you get ready, you don't have to stay ready. That's right. It was helpful that we had I mean, wait, no, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. It was helpful that we had been getting ready um, or, or, or were at a point of staying ready on clinical trials before we got to this moment when the world was watching. You know, like Angela, I appreciate you for stopping by the show. This has been a dope conversation. Before we let you go, any parting words or shout outs? <laughs> Um, I guess shout outs to the audience because hopefully a lot of my friends are listening. Um, I miss everybody and, uh, see me in New York cause I'm up there more often. Hey, let's go. Angela, you're a friend of the show. You're welcome back anytime. Um, we thank you. I, you know, I, 
I, I, I can feel the, I don't know, like just the weight of the work that you do through the call. No joke, because there's so many moving parts, uh, legislatively, politically, relationally that you're having to manage so that Pfizer can be effective uh, across the world. And so I just want to thank you for being on the show. And I want to thank you for all your work. Well, thanks for letting me come by and talk today. It's been fun. Hey, it's been really fun. I can't wait to talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you later. Peace. And we're back. Yo, if you want to learn more about Angela, more about the work that we're doing and we have done with Pfizer, more about the work that Pfizer is doing, make sure you click the link in the show notes. Make sure you check out the merch on livingcorporate.shop. Make sure you check out uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Really close to 300 um, five-star ratings. I'm really excited about that. Continue to show us love. Thank you for that. Continue to listen. Continue to share with your mama, cousin, auntie them. You know what I'm saying? Your co-worker them. All of them. Right? Just make sure you continue to do the work. We're seeing the data. Clearly, people are sharing and talking about us. We can't thank you enough for that. And um, I love y'all. Okay? Take care of yourselves. Peace. Local Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.